0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 26 of the Sophos Naked Security Podcast. I'm Anna Brady and I'm here with Sophos experts Paul Ducklin. Hello. Matt Boddy.
1: Hello. World. Aww.
0: And Ben Jones. Hello. Coming up on today's show, Duck talks about a TP-Link route of vulnerability, Matt talks about sneaky pre-installed Android apps, and Ben talks about how his web server didn't get hacked despite someone trying to. What have you been up to this week, guys?
2: Well, I went to the London Bike Show. Where I was the guest of a very high-end carbon folding bike manufacturer, and I was one of the first out on the test track with their bike, and it was really, really cool, although a bit more than I can afford. And luckily, they weren't watching because I pranked it. I did. I did fess <laughs> up afterwards. The bike was uninjured, and I was mostly
3: uninjured, but it was quite embarrassing. I have been binging on Game of Thrones. I've just been an absolutely box set binging getting ready for the new series that's going to come out this month this month so what exciting. happened to the board games slash ps4 games oh no i'm but... still completely addicted to the ps4 game do you play that while you're watching game of thrones no i can't multitask like that i'm, I'm not very good at multitasking. <laughs> <laughs> uh i adopted a cat
0: oh meow
1: i did his name is uh ragnar Benedictson bigglesworth jones
3: yeah, how do you call your cat? If your cat's outside or something, yeah. or, or if you if if he's stuck in somewhere, do you say? Ragnar. Do you have to say the full name? That's quite a mouthful.
1: Officially, on all the documentation, his name is Ragnar. Aww. That's going to sound quite aggressive. Has he got a passport? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. He didn't come with one from <laughs> the animal shelter.
0: Back to cybersecurity chat, Matt. Some research was published last week about the apps that come pre-installed on many Androids. Can you talk us through it?
3: There's there's been a university which which has published some research. They surveyed 2,748 users, 1,742 unique devices, 214 different vendors around the world to see what sort of apps were installed on these devices by default and understand what sort of PII was Accessible to these default apps, what what app permissions they were requesting?
2: PII, personally identifiable information.
3: Yeah, precisely. So, personally identifiable information that those apps could potentially get out of you. Things like IMEI numbers, which are identifiers for your for your mobile phone, and uh, and permissions to to other things that that maybe things like microphone or camera that it may have by default. It they also looked into the network traffic that those devices were passing as well to dynamically do some analysis of the applications that were running.
2: So the idea is that if you install if you choose to install an app that says these are the permissions I want and this is what I'm going to do and this is the data I'm going to take from you that's one thing. But this is the what some people often call bloatware that just comes along with the phone. Indeed, this is yeah. all there before you even start installing your favorite calculator or your favorite weather app.
3: Yeah, so you buy a you buy a phone and this is this is all on there by default.
0: So did that happen when you bought your phone recently?
3: Yeah, yeah, it did. So I bought a new Huawei phone, and everyone's going to laugh at me for saying that, especially on a cyber security podcast. Um, Duck is just gingerly touching his iPhone now, <laughs> I'm to, not gingerly touching, it. you know, his holding, I'm holding it in, high yeah, in the like air like a rock triumphantly, star triumphantly. Yeah, well, well, misinformed rock star. <laughs> so. Uh, so on this phone, which, I've, which I purchased, it came with a bunch of apps that were pre-installed on it. Things like uh, its own app store. You can't uninstall this app. You can't disable it. You can only stop it from running. However, it restarts itself anytime you reboot the phone. It, com- it comes with its own calendar alongside the default Google calendar, which is on the device. So does that mean when which you add something like Monday evening, record the podcast, that it goes into both calendars? I've not enabled it. I've not touched it because I'm too scared of it. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> You can't remove it, right? You can't remove it, you can't install it. There's also a Huawei email app as well, which is default on there by default. And whenever you try and do, whenever Android initializes an intent to send an email from another app, then it will ask, first of all, do you want to send an email in app called email, which is the Huawei one? Uh, you have to scroll quite a way down to find the default Gmail app. You can understand why a phone vendor might want to
2: have their own calendar app, their own email app, their own phone app, their own messaging app, because those are kind of key features of a phone. But yeah. My understanding is some of the things that these guys found were social media apps that normally you choose to install, that variant versions of Facebook, for example, that are pre-installed that you can't remove. All sorts of stuff, yeah. games, all kinds of things that you just think, well, I really want this, but now I can't remove it. So.
3: And it's odd because you, as a phone vendor, you've got to go out of your way to put those apps on the phone. Do you think they reckon that it, it adds value because you've got all these cool apps for free, which you
2: could download for free if you wanted anyway? Or, or are they aiming to make the money by,
3: through the advertising revenue? So, so some of the apps were also found to have malware, li- third-party libraries which were associated with malicious applications on, the, on those devices as well. So malware libraries, essentially.
2: Those often relate to adware, don't they? Aggressive yeah. adware that companies maybe don't realize what they're getting into. They build this app. They want to monetize it. They stick in a third-party library and they don't realize that they're kind of getting into bed with some sleazebag back end. And yeah. then that app then ends up getting onto the phone and you've got it and you can't remove it. Yeah, there's no way it's of an-
3: uninstalling it though.
2: It seems to be a bit of a misguided idea by the vendors like we're on PCs in the 1990s where it came pre-installed
3: with... 200 apps and he spent the first three days trying to get rid of them all because he just didn't need that much. I don't pretend to understand it. And I I don't understand why they'd invest so much money into developing these apps themselves. Sometimes sometimes they're just selecting apps which they think, oh, people are going to want Facebook on there. However, sometimes they may be developing the apps themselves like Huawei, like their own app store. I don't understand why they'd want to invest that much money where they could just give you vanilla Android the other thing that is um that that they may be doing with things like Facebook installed on there by default is using that to track your ad ID for Facebook. So it may all come, some of it may come back around to generating ad revenue for that vendor.
0: So can you remove these kinds of apps?
3: Sometimes. So on your settings, on Android, go into the apps. And then within those apps, you go down and find the apps which may be pre-installed and then uh, stop and uninstall them if you can. However, on my phone, on the Huawei, I don't have the option to uninstall them. There is also a, quite often an option to disable them by default on Android. However, that can be disabled. The, the option to disable them yes. can be disabled mm-hmm. by the, the, the vendor. So on Huawei, for instance, the default Huawei app store, I can't disable. That option's grayed out. However, I can force stop it. But, but that means they restart it
2: when they feel like it. Typically, when you reboot. Now, Matt, someone commented on the article that we published on Naked Security in very high dudgeon, saying, "You didn't name and shame the the, the vendors." Yeah. And my response: I didn't write the article, but my response was, "You really need to go and read the paper because there's there's much more to it than naming and shaming." Because there are just so many vendors that the ones we would list, firstly, we'd be copying the paper. Secondly, they weren't trying to really get a definitive list of which vendors were good and bad. My understanding is they were just trying to reveal that there was this bloatware aspect to the Android ecosystem that was something that you probably wanted to take into
3: account this is kind of the difference between a like a vulnerability disclosure of an of a specific app yeah. and a bit of re- uh, some research into just security issues as a whole so so 248 different vendors with 1742 different devices but however i don't think this should put you off of android entirely right. because there are if you want to have that stock look and feel of an android phone you can always go for the pixel and don't get me wrong Pixel and iPhones are going to cost a similar amount in this day and age. So it's not going to be, do you prefer paying less for your phone over paying more for an iPhone? It's going to be a question of what what ecosystem do you prefer? Do you prefer Android or iPhone, iOS? So this is not a
2: way of saying we've looked at every vendor and these are the good ones, these are the bad ones. It's not a security
3: analysis. Android at Google are trying to do something about this. They're trying to release... Um, stock images and give vendors options to provide you kind of stock android on your phone it's it's not happening fast enough for my liking i'd rather see all of the vendors picking up this stock android and give up with just making your phone completely bloated with these random applications which you don't have control of i think people are looking for us
2: to provide them with a list of vendors to avoid list of vendors to choose it isn't about that the paper is just about the fact that the android ecosystem is not as clear-cut as it is on apple There may be lots of things that you weren't expecting and that you can't get rid of. Before you buy it, have a look. So go in with your eyes open. Yeah.
0: Duck, there's a zero day in TP-Link routers. Can you talk us through the story?
2: The chap who's a security engineer with Google, was looking through the firmware of a TP-Link router model called the SR20. I don't think it's available for sale anymore. You can get them remaindered. It was particularly intended as a router that you could interface with your Internet of Things, your home automation devices. So it was designed for someone who wanted a connected home. Unfortunately, it has this bug that allows you to connect to its debug interface, and then you can tell the router, (laughs) basically, connect back to my PC, download a program, run it as root, you can completely reprogram the router and completely control the network.
0: So what does that mean for home users that have this?
2: The good news is, my understanding is that this router model, the SR20, by default, it's set so that no one outside your network on what's called the WAN, the Wide Area Network Link, no one on the internet can connect in and access this debug port. If you're in a coffee shop, for example, where anyone who's in the coffee shop can get the password, because it's written up on the wall, then they could get in and reprogram your router. But this is not a risk that exposes you to the internet at large. So it is, it's is—it's not the end of the world, but it's not a good look.
0: Okay. And so has he told TP-Link?
2: Well, that's the interesting part of the story. Uh, he went to, there is a page on TP-Link's website They're called the security advisory page. You can ask for tech support or you can report security issues. There's no email address. There's no contact details other than this web form. So that's the way you supposedly you're supposed to try and help them out by being a good citizen and reporting security vulnerabilities. All you can do on this web page, I've checked it out, is you put in your email address and they say, we will get back to you in one to three working days. When he did this last December 2018, he didn't get a reply. A bit later, He's an inveterate Twitterer, the guy who found the bug. So he decided to try contacting TP Link via Twitter, but they don't seem to be very active on Twitter. So that fell through the cracks. So the reason that this all got exposed is, of course, he works for Google. And under Google's rules, after 90 days, the hammer drops, the bug gets disclosed. Mm -hmm. And that's what's happened, which is why he's writing about it now. So you can see why he's frustrated. I was chatting to Mark Stockley earlier about this. And I said, you know, Mark, do you think it's reasonable that somebody's trying to give a formal notification to a vendor? Is it reasonable to use Twitter? Should he have tried a bit harder? And, you know, Mark's wise words were, well, if you've got a form that you've put up, and that's the way people are supposed to contact you, it should work. And if it doesn't work, how much effort do you expect somebody who's trying to help you for free to put into trying to let you know that they've found a problem? So, yes, he tried to contact them and he tried to contact them twice and he did it in the official way and it didn't work out.
0: Okay, so what's your advice to users then that have this?
2: Well, as I said, the good news is people outside your network can't find you on an Internet search engine and jump in and take over your network. Where this might be a risk is if you are running a coffee shop or some kind of shared area where you're publishing the password and you're inviting people you don't know well to connect and you've got one of these routers, this this does mean that if someone's got poor intention, they can basically mess the whole thing up. The good news is, if you're running a coffee shop, you're probably not going to buy this brand of router anyway, because it's geared towards the connected home. So I think the risk is very small, but it's a salutary reminder to anybody who produces software, who has something on their website for bug reports, if someone tries to help you by genuinely reporting a bug, make sure you don't let it fall through the cracks because otherwise this kind of embarrassing situation happens. You may find that the next time they want to buy a router, they go shopping somewhere else.
0: Cool. Thanks, Doug. Ben, over to you. You hosted a website for your wedding recently, didn't you?
1: So I did not indeed. So for, for my uh, wedding, I created a, a website which guests could use as a, as a portal to RSVP, uh, give information around their dietary requirements, accommodation, if they need accommodation, etc. And also, uh, most importantly as well, give me money as well for... Uh, that is important. <laughs> so the adware side. <laughs> rationale, indeed, because I'm a cheapskate and I didn't want to use an existing platform and I'm a bit of a geek and I wanted to create my own website, so I made it all myself. Yep.
0: And someone tried to hack
1: it, didn't they? Yeah. Yes. So um, fundamentally, well, with that information, when the uh, guests RSVP... And give the information that's done via a PHP or web form um, that then submits that information, that that data that the guest has provided into a database on the back end of the web server. Now, after some time when various different, numerous different guests had had RSVP'd, I was checking through the data um, in the database and I noticed a few sort of anomalous and and standout-ish Um, sort of uh, entries within there so in between you know the standoutish yeah that's a cool word actually i might borrow it (laughs) (laughs) so in between you know the the vegetarians and the vegan was some information that looked like sort of anomalous code or or really stood out And, and basically what it was was on the face of it it could just look like a random bit of information but but in drilling down into it more and actually dissecting the code um, fund- what, what the code was actually trying to do was execute PHP code in order to do a very simple mathematics sum, basically a sub- subtraction. Ultimately, what, what the goal was, in fact, this was probably an attacker or some sort of probe that was trying to put that information into my website through the web form and try to return the result of that sum. And if that sum is then, if the result is then returned, by that web form, then they know that they have remote the ability to execute code remotely on my web server. Mm-hmm. So with that information, once they know they can do that, they can then do some more malicious and, and tricksy things like for example, you know, redirect the web page or get it to do something malicious basically. So cancel all your gifts. Indeed, that's it. Get oh, all the money terrible. out my PayPal. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> luckily because of the way my website was designed, that would never be possible because all it was doing was putting information into the database they tried their luck anyways, as this was likely a probe. So what I did was I took that particular sum. So it was actually quite a unique string of, of numbers. So it was actually um, around about sort of 238 quadrillion or so, minus um, a number in the trillions. Uh, so a very unique sort of long string of, of different numbers. Um, I then Google searched that and I, that returned around 88,500 different results. So that's 88,000 500 other websites that had been indexed by google that showed the same sum so that's an example or other, it's indicative of quite how wide reaching this probe was mm. um and and the chance are, for example my website because the information is only going into the database it can never be pulled out and indexed as a result of that the chances are it was input into lots of other web forms as well
2: and they wouldn't need to have someone sitting there copying and pasting this in presumably they'd visit a website they'd see that a page had a form on it they'd pick one of the fields in the form in your case maybe dietary choice and then i'll stick in their sum and if in the so if they put in say two plus two and the two plus two disappeared then they'd figure okay he's just shoved in this database we didn't win but if they get a web page back with four in it they figure hey his server did a calculation that we provided so it means they've got remote code execution, so it's like a test
3: so that's an interesting point i exactly. wonder I wonder what the Google search would return back for the number four, but in your case, it would be a number in its trillions. so I so did actually
1: search that it was significantly less. however, that wouldn't necessarily be indexed the same potentially um because by putting the data in and lots of websites because of the way they're designed, that then gets recorded in a database that can that sits as a web page that can get indexed by Google in the scenario whereby that sum can actually be processed. I don't know if the result
2: would get indexed in the same sort of way. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what you web, normally sorry. call the deep web, isn't yeah, it? It's a exactly. bit of the web that, not the dark web where all the dodgy stuff happens, but just the parts of the web that don't get indexed because Google never sees that page because it's unique to each visitor. I tried those numbers out, by the way, uh, in Hex and various other encodings to see if they'd left some ha-ha-ha message, but I couldn't find one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was hoping that in Hex they'd turn into something like gotcha but yeah they did, they did not that's, that's uh, generally how
1: uh sort of hackers tend to work isn't it Actually, well, one of them
2: has does what does it start three four five six seven three four five as though they it, were just... it's
1: not random you can see it's yeah three There's four five six seven away. three four three five so you didn't get hacked. I didn't get hacked. I
2: didn't. And you noticed in plenty of time. It wasn't like long afterwards you realised, no. oh golly, someone was wondering. 90 days it. or so, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I
0: so what's your advice for anyone hosting a website?
2: So
1: the key advice um, from, from a web development perspective would mm-hmm. be, uh, if you're hosting a website, or rather if you're developing a website, implement form validation, which basically means you're monitoring and, and validating the information that's coming in. So for example, let's say you're, you're feeding email addresses into a database, make sure you're getting email addresses. Mm-hmm. So look for data that's structured in the format of something at something dot something, and not PHP, print, and then a, a sum, for example. So you can rule that out, filter it out, and prevent this sort of attack or attempted attack. Another option, um, not from a development perspective, but more from a security perspective, is to implement a web application firewall, mm-hmm. or WAF, which basically sits between the client, And the web server itself. In fact, a lot of WAFs do form validation as well. So it can can act as an additional layer for form validation to sort of rule out things and get rid of things like SQL injection and those sorts of attacks. So a
2: a WAF is a proxy backwards, isn't it? Reverse proxy, yeah. So that you connect to it and then if it's okay with what it sees in the form submission, then it will pass it on to the web server. Otherwise, it'll just bin the request and that... Reduces the potential for the website to get attacked. Exactly. It's not an excuse for doing poor form validation, input validation, cross-site scripting checks, all that stuff in your web server, but it's just an additional layer of protection in case you make a mistake. Precisely. Now, I think the other lesson that you've that you've proved in spades here is that if you're going to keep logs, then you should go and review those logs. Otherwise, you're completely wasting your time because that's how you found this. And you knew sooner
1: rather than later. Consider disabling logging if you have no intention of ever looking at it. Yeah. And uh, obviously, if you are actively looking at it, um, it might be worth setting the logging level to a level that only retains the level of information that, that you
2: want to receive. It's best not to be under attack at all. It's best for the attack not to succeed if somebody tries. But if they do succeed, the sooner you know, the more likely you are to be able to do something about it. Exactly.
0: Thanks, guys. That's about all from us this week. Duck, where can we find you on social media?
2: You can find me at DuckBlog on Twitter and at P Ducklin on Instagram.
0: Oh, I've been on Instagram
2: for ages. I just uh, haven't probably. really publicised
3: it. It is my name, so you can find me if you want. Matt. So I'm actually quite bitter about my social media presence at the moment because just before we started recording the podcast, <laughs> I announced that I'd managed to get Infosec of hens as my Twitter handle. As Mark challenged you. As Mark challenged me to do. So everyone started racing to then get info at Infosec Body at Twitter to then take my previous presence away from me. So they could sell back to you so later. So that they could sell it back to me at a cost at a later time. <laughs> So I then changed my Twitter handle back to at Infosec and it was a classic double play because mm-hmm. then Ben here registered at Infosec of Hens.
2: Indeed. We only want to make you pay with your dignity. There's yeah. no question of of squeezing you for money, so it yeah, wouldn't no. be anything untoward. There's no
3: Bitcoin address coming my way to tell you <laughs> that the ransom should be paid. <laughs>
0: so where are you at the moment now at infosec
3: Body? body on every social media platform if every social media platform is instagram and twitter
0: and then you're at Infosec Offense. For now, yes. Oh. <laughs> Watch this
3: space. This could get fun. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm at Anna Brady on Twitter, and we are, of course, at Naked Security on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find us on Facebook by searching Naked Security. Please rate and re- review our podcast. It helps other people find us. You can tweet us at Naked Security with suggestions for the podcast, or you can email us at tips at suffers.com. And until next time, stay secure,